Welcome, one and all, to another fabulous episode of The Partial Historians. I am The Radness. I am Dr. Greenfield. Welcome. I think this is going to be a particularly exciting episode as we trace the history of Rome from the founding of the city. I almost said that (laughs) the other way around. (laughs) The history of the city from the founding of history. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know... Um, we're we're very early in our journey, even we still. Are. We are, we are. Um, but I have great news. I'm What's up that? to book six of Dionysius <laughs> of Halicarnassus. I'm into a whole new book, everyone. <laughs> this is very exciting. This is, uh, given the level of detail that Dionysius goes into, this is an impressive feat. <laughs> there, are, there are many pages. <laughs> the things I could have told you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you have lots of detail for me today, because we're a particularly important point of time at least this is what the source have us believe <laughs> yeah it feels like every point in time is a very important point in time when you're reading history it is well see this one i feel like i know it must be important because we're not entirely sure when it happened <laughs> <laughs> right well then <laughs> but i think we're dealing with something round about like 496 495. Yeah, it's in that period. That, let's say that it's in that decade. <laughs> well, it gets hazy as well. Some sources place the events that we're going to talk about in this episode to as early as 499. Yeah, exactly. And Way think, to make it confusing, guys. Yeah, I guess it probably has a lot to do with the fact that, well, first of all, we're talking about war against the Latins. Where basically everyone gangs up on the poor Romans. It could could be anyone. If you're in Italy, it's probably you. Yeah, exactly. Um, It could be that there's confusion because um, there's obviously a build-up to the point where war actually breaks out. So maybe there's a bit of confusion in terms of when the fighting actually starts. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, Livy talks about basically, um, for him, about 498 or so, um, nothing much is going on except that... There's sort of this low-level hostilities happening at places like Fidine, being besieged, okay. Uh, Preneste, revolting. um, They've always been revolting. (laughs) (laughs) They're revolting from the Latins to the Romans. That's good news. Uh, But yeah, basically he says in 498, this is when things are starting, like this, this underlying tension with the Latins, which has been building for years, is finally going to build up. Yes, that's simmering underneath the surface. Exactly, yes. And where, in terms of the narrative, we reached the point in the previous episode where they, the Latins had just formed a truce. Uh, with Rome. At this least is in a, your account. This, yeah. is a short-lived, <laughs> this is a short-lived affair in any way. Yeah. Uh, in any sense of the word. Uh, it's only for a year, if mm. indeed it's happening at all. Yeah. Livy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so he might be trying to hint at that. I'm not really sure. But uh, yeah, well, see, it's obviously serious because we have once again a dictator being oh, put yes, in power. We do. Uh, and in my version, it is Aulus Postumius, and he has Titus Abutius as his master of the horse. Oh, I'm willing to concur with these details. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> we have a similarity. <laughs> no, you'll hear no controversy from me on these affairs. Yeah. So basically for Louis, um, you know, he goes very quickly from simmering to full-out war. Yeah, let's have a dictator. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into that, there's just a couple of... There's a few little things that I want to pick out, mostly because uh, women don't appear very much in this historical narrative. And I've got a well, little well, well, moment. You have a woman? <laughs> I've got a woman moment. Okay, please. Uh, I, I, I've been, I have to admit, I've been missing... The feminist missing inside her. me says, don't just skip over this. No, no. You're just going to man-wash history. <laughs> uh, it's already got enough men going on. Um, in this 
uh, Dionysius's truce moment sure. with the Latins. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that apparently happens, if indeed we're talking about anything that might have happened at all, yes. uh, <laughs> is that the Senate puts out a bit of an edict saying, if you are a woman of Roman birth and you're married to a Roman mm. um, and you'd like to stay with your husband or return to your own city, now's the time to make a choice, like depending on where you're located. Ah, um, okay. We're going to let, we're going to allow movement of women around. Um, so that is interesting. What yeah. happens in this situation apparently <laughs> is that the women have a choice. Do mm. you want to stay where you are or do you want to come to Rome? Yeah. Uh, or if you're in Rome, do you want to go back to wherever you came from? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, a whole bunch of Roman women who are living in Latin cities yeah. uh, leave their husbands and go back under the power of their fathers by returning to Rome. Wow. Aww. I suppose, I mean, not that I want to necessarily dive into this at this point in time, but I suppose it bears mentioning the fact that Roman marriage is quite different to our idea, I suppose, of marriage. During early times, we think there was this quite firm version of marriage, the Manus marriage. Yes, marriage with the hand. Yes, which I love. <laughs> which would imply that you wouldn't go back to your father's household if you were married in this stricter way, perhaps. No, yeah, the older legal form of yeah. Roman marriage with the hand yeah. meant that you were transferred entirely out of your natal household yes. into your husband's household it's, at the point of marriage. Exactly. There was no return. You became part of your husband's family. Exactly, and that was... As if as, you were born into it. Yeah, and as far as I understand, that was more common probably in this period. So, yeah, theoretically, yeah, yeah. Whereas it's much, much less common as we go through time. Yeah, and so it, we get yeah. further into the Republic, and certainly once we hit the Principate, yes. uh, we're talking uh, marriage sine manus, yeah. <laughs> without, without yeah. the hand. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I just note that because I'm just interested in the fact that, yeah, these women are, you know, returning to their father's household. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, yeah. Um, this might be a moment where the manus marriage is wavered somehow. I'm not quite sure how it would be operating. Um, or I suppose we could assume that maybe maybe there is no manus marriage. Well, no, I think know. this is far yeah. more for rhetorical effect yeah. than it is for uh, Roman legalese. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Because the other point that is... Accident. <laughs> because the other point that is made here is yeah. that uh, so Roman women return home. Yes. Yeah out of Latin territory, going, yeah. oh, thank goodness, I've got a chance to escape. And <laughs> it's the, so horrible there, I kind of don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and the Latin women who are in Rome decide to not go home. Yeah, okay. They're like, yeah. and so there's this sort of... So it's pretty clear what the message <laughs> of that story is. <laughs> Hello, it's nice. Rome is lady-friendly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pro Once upon a time, women, that wasn't the case. Pro <laughs> women, yeah. But Rome has turned it around in a, in a mere few hundred years. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that Rome is really pro women. Everybody wants to hang out here, guys, men and women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Rome turns out to be the city that, you know, women want to have and men want to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. So forth enough, and so yeah. on. And now we can proceed into our, into our other narrative. I'm glad you it out because that is quite cute that Rome wants to point out that, you know, the women want to stay. Yeah, it's really sweet. It must be awesome. Yeah. And this is clearly some sort of, sort of political signal. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Okay. So for Livy, we're, we're straight into the logistics. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but he talks about how um, Aulus Postumius and his mighty assistant, Abutius, um, they basically get together the, uh, a mixture of cavalry and in- infantry. 
Uh, and they basically meet the Latin forces at Lake Regulus, which is in the territory of Tusculum, which uh, keen listeners might remember is sort of the territory of naughty, naughty Mamulius, who is presumably the leader of this Latin alliance. Oh, is this Octavius Mamulius? Yes. Oh, yes. Son-in-law okay. of yes, the Tarquins. Yes. Danger um, stations. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So th- this is not actually too far away from Rome, I'll just point out. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's obviously foreign territory. Um, and the rage of the Romans. Oh, my <laughs> lord. It is something to behold, Dr. G, because they know that the Tarquins are on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Show yourself. Exactly. So they're just absolutely <laughs> chanting at the bit. <laughs> yeah, so Dionysius sort of phrases this in a slightly different way because we've got the truce at play in his narrative. Right, yeah, of course, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's suggested that as the truce ends, mm. that the Romans enthusiastically start to prepare for war. Right, um, okay. The Latins, on the other hand, are lacking enthusiasm and are struggling to get the required enthusiasm <laughs> to really participate in this whole thing. Because they don't want to fight the Romans? Or because well, they just don't want and to maybe fight. because all their women ran away to Rome. Yeah. <laughs> They're a bit sad. Feeling yeah. the little sort of the morale yeah. Uh, yeah. is falling there. In any case, so we have Aulius Postumius, dictator. Yep. He's appointed Titius Abutius as Elva, apparently, yeah. as his master of the horse. Sure. Um, and this means that Aulius um, Postumius, Aulius Postumius's colleague in the consulship, yes. Titus Virginius, yes. has sort of gone, I abdicate, I'm out of the way, I won't interfere. <laughs> you just do your thing. Yeah. Do your thing. But interestingly, there seems to be a real place for the leftover consul in the warfare. Oh, all that war. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. In the warfare that follows. <laughs> yeah. And we saw it with Lassius utilizing yes, Noelius, giving him a sentry and him actually doing something in a battle. Yes. Um, and we're going to see the return of Titus Virginius as well in this battle of Lake Regulus. Well, fair enough. Okay, well, Livy basically says that uh, because the Romans' blood was up because of the Tarquin scent drifting their way, <laughs> they basically say, you know they what? Smell those yeah, they basically they rock up and they go, you know what? I just can't wait. I just can't wait. And so they start fighting instantly. <laughs> really? Yeah, and as a result... Curious. The battle was apparently unusually obstinate and bloody. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because basically everyone gets involved. The generals aren't just sitting back and saying, okay, you there, you (laughs) over there, you over there, hold the line, hold the line, flank, flank, or whatever it is that generals do. Yeah, yeah, sure. They weren't doing that. The generals themselves were involved, exposing themselves to danger. Exposing themselves? I know. (laughs) Cut this. Typical. <laughs> We've been chosen for our firmness. How do you like it? <laughs> ah, I see. Yeah. I see. Nice. Exactly, yeah. Anyway, so everyone's involved, and um, scarcely anybody uh, who's of the higher ranks leaves the field without being wounded, except for Postumius. That's how passionate they are. <laughs> yeah, it's a disastrous time, isn't it? Is, it is, yeah. Things are slightly more organised in Dionysius's narrative. <laughs> By all means, please. Please do tell. Um, so they, the dictator hears about um, the Latins having captured a small place called Corbio, ah. uh, which had a garrison of Roman troops Ooh, who are wiped out. Um, that's not a good start. Right, the Latins, yeah. as it turns out. <laughs> and so that's when they start getting organised. And while that's happening, the Volscians, 
send a whole force from their one of their cities, Antium, to help out the Latins and support them. They're now, like, this is really interesting, actually, because I'm just going to flag one of the things I was going to talk about, but you've ruined the surprise. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. uh, in Livy's account, the Volskians, the Volskians are basically kind of new kids on the block at mm. this point in time. Um, we've talked a lot about, obviously, the rivalry that's happening in Italy. Rome is by no means a dominant power, as I think this makes very clear. The Volskians and um, also the Aqui, they tend to they sort of rock up in about this period, and they're going to be annoying for about the next hundred years. <laughs> Wait for it. Yeah, but the reason why I'm talking about them now is because in Livy's account, they, they get troops ready, but they don't commit. Ah, yeah. Well, so, yes, interestingly, yeah. like, this is like seems to be the only force that they sent. Okay, right. And there is promise of other forces uh, which are not set. What a tease. <laughs> what a tease. Volskians, <laughs> why you play with me? Um, so they send out a reasonable size army right. uh, to back up the Latins at Corbio. Yeah. And Postumius starts moving all of his troops appropriately and finds that the Latins, when he catches up with the Latins, they're already encamped around Lake Regulus. Right. And he's like, well, that's a problem. <laughs> I can't just move the battle here. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, well, then. Um, so he starts organizing his forces in sort of like a three-pronged approach. So he's kind of surrounding the Latins in ways in which will make it difficult for them to retreat in any particular direction. Sounds like a dastardly plan. Um, Surprise, surprise, uh, the Latins are being led by people like Octavius Mamilius, Sextus Tarquinius, and, you know, the usual, um, these guys have been voted Latin generals, so it's perhaps unsurprising that they're there. Yeah, yeah. Um, So they're checking out everything that's going on. Yeah. And they're looking at the Roman forces that have arrayed around them, and they spend a lot of time talking about strategy, apparently. Nobody's really sure quite what to do. <laughs> then I'm not um, sure how to take this on. Curiously, uh, Dionysius positions the Latins as being inexperienced at this point, hmm. which I can't Seems really buy yeah. because the guys who are leading the Latin forces at this point in time have been doing this for a long time well, yeah, and mean, against the Romans exactly. almost every single and time. And for the Romans, if yeah. we get a long yeah. way back. <laughs> um, these, these guys aren't inexperienced no. generals. And I mean, I think we've established by this point in time, because I've said it a long time ago, a, a lot of times and only just a few moments ago. This is a really turbulent period in mm. Italian history. There is a lot of like of of warfare, which is probably more like small scale, but still, everyone's involved, really. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I I do find it hard to believe that they just be like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? And I'm really sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Postumius sets up his forces. Yeah. Uh, Titus Virginius, mm-hmm. the Oh, the old consul. Yeah, yep. um, I don't know really what his title would be at this point in time. He gets <laughs> referred to as the consul in the narrative. Fair enough. Um, that. Yeah. He turns up. He encamps on the other ridge, um, looking down at the Latins. Mm. Um, and then Postumius sends in his master of the horse mm-hmm. uh, to take the hill yep. over the other side. High ground. Sounds mm-hmm. promising. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that they'll be able to sort of surround the Latins and attack them in the night. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. All all good times. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty standard strategy. Um, Sextus Tarquinius um, has a look at the situation and decides to, like, just launch into the attack. He's Ah, like... Ah, okay. Yeah, because the Latins are under the impression that they've got some backup coming. From and, Volsky or from... Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and possibly some others as well. Yeah, yeah. And so he's like, well, you know, maybe I'll just take out their horse um, mm. while they're 
Hana wears. <laughs> Are um, they not expecting it? Yeah, so he charges up to them. Mm. He's like, that'll be great. Um, it doesn't go so well. <laughs> yes, because I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes backwards and forwards, mm. backwards and forwards. Posthumous is fighting. Um, As you do. Sexist yeah. is fighting. Um, Sexist seems to be like, well, I'm not getting anywhere here. And he retreats. Right, okay. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a thrill. Yeah, this is a completely different line of narrative to what I've got. Because basically I've got... um, So, okay, so we're well and truly into the battle, as you probably (laughs) seen. Posthumius is trying to sort of encourage people, um, because he's the only one who hasn't been wounded, like, amongst the (laughs) leading men at this point in time. Oh, I've got some narratives for those wounds. Just just you wait. Just you wait. (laughs) Okay, so he's like, you know, line, line. Okay, while he's doing that, directing people. Um, Tarquinius Superbus. Finally, Livy says that this guy is old, but he's still involved, and he basically decides he's going to take on Posthumius. Ah, uh, yes. And so he basically sort of, you know, charges over, tries to, you know, do stuff, um, gets knocked, and his men go, you know what, this isn't a good idea, you're really too old for this, surround him and take him away to a place of safety. <laughs> You're too old for this, man. Too old. Before anything really bad happens, because God forbid that Superbus should die ever, they, they, yeah, they take him away. Um, And then we've got this sort of duel um, between Abutius, the master of the horse, and Octavius Mamilius, okay? Um, So basically, they go at each other, which seems... uh, Fishing, since we've just had Posthumius versus Superbus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've now got the second uh, big duel. And it's really fierce, as you can imagine. Um, so fierce that they are both wounded. <laughs> okay, so Mamilius gets a wound in the breast, apparently, whilst the arm of Abutius is pierced right through. Uh, and Abutius perhaps quite wisely decides that maybe this is a time to step back a little bit and that other people might... <laughs> yeah, so I, fair I, enough. I, I fair will enough. pause my narrative there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So we do. I do have um, the clash between Titus Abutius and Mamilius Octavius. Okay. In my narrative, um, apparently they both give each other grievous but not mortal wounds. Exactly. That's just it. Um, yes. So yeah. So Abutius drives his spear yes. through the corslet of Mamilius into mm. his breast. Ouchies. Yeah. Uh, and then Mamilius. Uh, runs Abutius through the arm. Okay, so this is this is corresponding. Yeah, and both of them yeah. fall off their horses, <laughs> and both of them get taken off the field. Right, for a little while. Yeah, just for uh, a little while. Just, just for, for a little while. while. Just, just for a little. Just, just walk wait it off. For it. Walk it off. Yeah, Mamilius Octavius is going to be back yeah. on oh. the field. Oh, I know that. <laughs> um, so problems that are, are cropping up in this battle. Um, we've got sort of Sextus Tarquinius lined up opposite. Uh, Titus Virginius. Okay. Um, so they're going to be a dueling pair. Yeah. Um, I do already... love how they take each other on. Like, yeah. it's, it's like they can only fight someone else who's like Come a well-known on. character. <laughs> you've got to be at the right level of importance for me to fight you. <laughs> and then you've got Octavius Mamilius versus Abutius that we've just looked at. Yeah. And then we've got Titus Tarquinius, who's one of the sons, yes. one of the other sons of Superbus. Right. Um, fighting Posthumius Ooh. in the center. Okay. Um, so let me skip ahead because Dionysius, in my narrative, Dionysius spends about five or six pages <laughs> on Posthumius's very energizing speech to the Roman troops. Ah, well, nothing like a six page speech to get you going. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and there are some offers to the gods made. And of course, that seems wise. 
And what we find out early on from Dionysius yeah. is that Titus Tarquinius is wounded really quickly in the shoulder by a javelin. Nice. Um, so that's unfortunate. Um, no, but he's no longer able to use his arm. Well, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> um, and then Dionysius launches into what is tantamount to a historiographical attack on Livy. Um, oh. Well... <laughs> That's just rude. You know, I'm sitting here thinking that all is well. <laughs> he mentions Licinius and Gellius, so other Roman historians. Right. Um, and to quote, Indeed, without inquiring into the probabilities or possibilities of the matter, introduced King Tarquinius himself, a man approaching 90 years of age, fighting on horseback and wounded. <laughs> and my little footnote mentions... Remember, also Livy mentions this. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly does. We've already talked about it. Come on. It's a great story. <laughs> yeah. But was he even there? I mean, what are the chances that the 90-year-old Superbus would be on the battlefield at all? To be honest, I think that if history has shown us nothing, it has shown us that he is a person. He has perseverance on his side. He never gives up. He never says die. He'll always be there lurking in the shadows. <laughs> he has to die at some point. He's at least 90 by now. Um, so in any case, he retires from the field, if indeed he's even there, which yeah. Dionysius highly doubts. Oh, well, God forbid we should doubt Dionysius. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the man doesn't have much going for him at times. But, but I think on this point he might have a... He Fair might, enough. might Fair be making enough. something you know I will. I will see that maybe he's not fighting, but maybe he's there. Maybe he's there. He maybe be watching. Yeah. His you sons know, are all my there. My sons. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> yeah. Or probably more likely, like, what's going on? And I can't really see <laughs> what's happening. When's breakfast? Yeah. Who's that uh, with a very pine plumed helmet? Um, so we have this issue. Um, getting back to Titus Abutius, the master of the horse for a moment, who's been wounded, yes. dragged off the field. Yeah, this means you need a replacement master of the horse because that oh. position cannot be left unfulfilled. God forbid. Uh, Marcus Valerius. Ah, ah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the brother of Publicola. Yes. Happens to be there. He's a legate. And he's just rapidly promoted to master of the horse. Nice. And he's like, all right, sweet. (laughs) Um, Having said that, that doesn't last for too long. Um, So Octavius Mamilius returns to the field. Uh Uh-oh. And Marcus Valerius falls (gasps) and is wounded with a spear. No. And his son, oh, and his nephews, I should say, Publius and Marcus Valerius, mm. so the sons of Policola, yeah. um, they rush in to help their uncle mm. um, and then die together. Oh, no. All three of them. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Marcus Valerius is dead. Right. But the um, other two die. But certainly his nephews die. Okay. Well, see, this is quite a little bit different to what I've got. Basically, um, so Latins are also... Very passionate in this battle, mm-hmm. okay, because they are fighting for the restoration of their freaking property, <laughs> and they want to get it back. So basically, we've got um, a cohort of this, these Roman exiles who are being commanded by Lucius Tarquinius. Oh, interesting. Yeah, exactly. And so they're, they're, they're all feeling the sting. They want to get <laughs> back their country, apparently. They want to get back their property. And so they're doing, you know, doing their thing, fighting passionately. Enter Marcus Valerius, brother of Publicola. He sees Lucius Tarquinius and he thinks, right, that's just about it. I've had enough, okay? Um, and so he decides, I'm going to show off 
I'm going to take him on. Well, sorry, he doesn't decide that. He, he decides he's going to take him on um, because he wants to uh, keep the legacy of the glory of his house going and also, for God's sakes, kick these bloody people out. Kick them right out, okay? So he goes towards Tarquinius, throws his javelin, but Lucius Tarquinius avoids this, okay? And he Dun-dun. basically, yeah, he basically sort of withdraws, it seems, behind the body of his men that are fighting with him. Coward. Mm. Coward! Valerius won't take this as a no. <laughs> or like a standard defensive measure. I yeah, exactly. Know. No, 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 no. It's a no. Valerius <laughs> won't stand for it. He basically, um, Luby does know it might be a bit of a rash move, but he does continue to try and get to Lucius. Okay, with the result that unfortunately he gets uh, killed. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay, so well, sorry. I mean, he's attacked obviously at first, uh, but yeah, then he is. He okay, is, he is wounded. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's an interesting sort of difference in terms of these narratives. Yeah. in terms of how this character gets to face his demise. Yeah, as it were. But this point about um, the restoration of property. Yes, is an interesting one, and it does come up. To a degree in the rhetorical, the very flourished flourished rhetorical speech that Dionysius gives um, to to Posthumius prior to the battle. Well, I dare say at this point in time, even the Tarquins, I think, and the Roman exiles are thinking that they're probably not going to rule Rome ever again, but they do want the property back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, this, this idea... Uh, Posthumius doesn't really offer any sort of restoration to the Tarquinii at all. Yeah, but, what he, yeah. but what he does offer yeah. is lands to the troops Ooh. in addition to the usual spoils. Right. Um, and this is part of the way that he's sort of incentivizing. Yeah. Uh, he's out of work. Well, yeah. you know, let's get all business yeah, speak yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how synergized yeah. can they be right now? <laughs> Um, in any case, um, yeah, the incentive seems to be not yeah. only will you get the usual spoils, yes. but you fight well uh, and we win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be additional property given out. Mm, mm. That is tantalizing. Very nice. But wait for it. Oh. Even more interesting things happening on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have a legate, uh, Herminius, and he is gearing up for an attack mm. on Octavius Mamullius, who's yeah. returned to the field. Yeah. Um, not only that, manages to best him and kill him. Nice. Uh, and then, while he's despoiling um, Octavius Mamullius's body, <laughs> um, somebody pierces him in the flank with a sword, Ooh, and Herminius also dies. Damn. Um, just <laughs> so, so unlucky. But just to pause for this moment, Octavius Mamullius has finally been killed. Woo-hoo! This man has been a thorn in my historical side for many an episode now. I can only feel a small portion of the thrill that the Romans would have felt that this guy has finally been destroyed. Well, this is actually pretty much the same sort of story that we get in Livy, uh, although it comes a little bit later, because basically um, once Valerius is killed, Postumius, the dictator, knows that this is going to be a blow for morale, Okay, because Valerius is a man of such rank. Okay, and he's a little bit worried about how the effect that this is going to have and seemingly is having <laughs> on his men. Um, so he basically tries to sort of uh, keep everybody together, sort of marshal their support, um, and basically tells the, the men that um, you are to treat as an enemy any man from your own side who you see retreating. 
Okay. Harsh. Yeah. Harsh but fair. Oh, <laughs> and, and, I don't know yeah. if I would agree with the fair. Um, <laughs> and, but that, it works. It works. They, they were flagging. They were struggling. But with this new order out there that basically anybody on the Roman side who decides they're going to retreat or whatever, they are going to be basically treated like one of the Latins. Well, it seems to work. Uh, and this is then where we get um, Titus Herminius and his exploits, where he does apparently deal, deal a death blow. Just one blow, and Mamilius is gone. But then, unfortunately, as you say, also not doing too well <laughs> himself. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, so Dionysius confirms those sorts of details in terms of, like, the very sort of um, harsh requirements in terms of, like, if your troops are not obedient to yes. you, you must kill them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Romans find themselves in a little bit of a dire straits, but they do turn it around yeah. for a limited time. Herminius <laughs> does die, unfortunately. After, well, yeah. But he does take out Octavius Mamilius while he does it. And that's so, a pretty big deal. So that's a pretty yeah. big win for the Romans right now. Yeah. Um, perhaps even more extraordinary, or perhaps an even greater victory at mm. this point, is the slaying of Sextus Tarquinius. <gasps> no! Finally it's happening. I'm afraid so. <laughs> go, go, please uh, tell me. <laughs> so, Sextus Tarquinius, he's commanding the left wing of the Latins. Right. He's been holding out for a long time. Yeah. He's forcing the right to give way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden he sees Postumius. Uh, ah. uh, <laughs> running over with all of his horses. Uh, <laughs> What it says, the flower of the horse. That must be a lot of. There must be some good horses yeah, there. That's right. uh, uh, oh, it's a whole flower of them. <laughs> um, once he sees that happening, so that's the forces from the center now diverting for his side. Yeah. So he's got uh, twice as many enemy rushing at him as he had before. Yeah. He knows that this is probably the end. Yeah. Uh, he decides to make a valiant stand for that and just run at the enemy and give it everything that he's got. Wow. This is um, pretty... This is cinematic. Yeah, yeah. This is this is like the build moment. Like yeah. the final episode. It's the end of the season. <laughs> the sacrifice must be made. Yeah. yeah. He sees it's inconceivable that he can get out of this alive. Yeah. He runs straight at the enemy. He gets deep into the Roman ranks. Mm. Um, he's being assailed on all sides by horse, by foot. He keeps fighting. He becomes like a wild beast. Um, well, that, well, yeah, he well, does. He why does. Not, why not? Um, he kills almost everybody who gets at him at close quarters, up until the point where he finally dies. Wow! So I'm actually surprised he's given such a magnificent death. I mean, he's a Tarquin. Well, he has to be. Well, in terms. Of the narrative yeah. of, of Roman victory. Yes. Um, to be a worthy enemy. Yeah, yeah, true. This you've got true. to have the glorious end. Yeah. Or else there's no point, really. Yes. Well, see, I feel like uh, we, I've, I've reached the peak of my my description from Livy. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because basically, um, once we have Emilius and Minius dead, um, the dictator can see... Uh, sorry, by, the dictator, which, by which I mean posthumous can see that his infantry are struggling still. Okay, so he basically goes to the cavalry and says, you know what, can you just get off your horses and help? (laughs) And they do. And finally, by the combined efforts of the exhausted cavalry and infantry, the Latins are overpowered and they retreat. And this is basically the victory Rome, victory over the Latins. 
um, which I feel is a little bit of an anticlimax. Well, um, I don't think so. I mean, we have just seen the slaying of Sextus Tarquinius, the yeah, man who rapes I Lucretia. I know. I, well, yeah, but that's in your account, not in mine. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's coming up Dionysius exactly. right now. <laughs> exactly. It's like we've come full circle in the narrative. The very things that, that propel the start of the Republic have finally been closed in this battle. Yeah, I mean, he does try in that he says that, you know, basically this sort of last stand, you know, the Latins are retreating, Postumius vows um, a temple to Castor at this point. Well, um, and, and let's not skip over that because... Oh, no, wait, I just, I'll just very quickly finish off just that last stand. It basically mm. says that um, basically there are going to be rewards to the soldiers who um, should enter the enemy's camp. And so they fight on mm-hmm. until they make themselves masters of the camp. Sorry, but you're right. We should, we should go back to that temple. Yeah. <laughs> well, only in the sense that, and it seems that it happens, the description of the appearance of yes. these divine figures, yeah. Castor and Pollux, yeah. happen at the end of the narratives of this war. Yes. So they, they don't insert it into the battle, but it seems to be pertinent around the story of the Battle of Lake yeah, Regulus. Yeah, yeah. And like some people have thought, um, apparently, it was often thought that this was sort of like a later insertion, this sort of legend of Castor and Pollux. Well, I do like a later insertion. Oh. <laughs> Not yet. Um, but apparently they, have, uh, they did unearth in the 1950s a plaque um, which predated this battle to about something about Castor and Pollux. And so it obviously was something to do with religion at the time. Hmm. So it's, and, and definitely the temple itself, I think, has been proven, um, the temple in the Forum to Castor has been proven to be from this period. So it's not that the religion's so some, out of sync. some things tie you. Yeah, yeah, it's not that the religion's out of sync. Obviously, it's probably more the questioning of were the gods really on the battlefield? <laughs> well, let's say that they were. Yes. Um, they appear on horseback. Right. <laughs> as you do. Yep. They're both beautiful uh, and tall. Well, I never doubted for a second that they less than impressive. And apparently just growing their first beard. Oh, that's cute. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> right on the cusp of manliness. Um, they appear to posthumous. Mm. And and those that are in the center. Yes. So it's a collective vision, if you like. Yeah. Um, they're charging at the head of the Roman horse and they're actually killing enemies. Yeah. So they seem to be driving the Latins back um, killing enemies, and nobody's quite sure who they are. Um, ah, so they're not recognized. No, and later in the afternoon, they appear again in the Roman Forum, mm. attired in military garb, also still quite tall and beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it's clear now that they're the same age right. as well. So they look for all money like they've been part of the battle, they were there, Everything was going on. Yeah. Um, they water their horses at the Fons to Turner mm. uh, in the Forum, which is right near the Temple of Vesta. Yeah. Yes. You know all about it. <laughs> um, and, and so they're seen not just on the battlefield, but they're seen in Rome. Yes. Um, which is curious because there's quite a, there's quite a bit... Anyway, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. worry. I know what you mean. The battlefield's not. No, not the in battlefield, Rome. Yeah. Rome eh. Don't worry too much, guys. They're gods. They just want to make it clear whose side they were on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it seems that the collective decision is that this has been a vision of Castor and Pollux, yes. the divine twins. And it is interesting because, as much as we might go, oh, okay, well, this is clearly, you know, a later insertion or it's worked into the narrative to, I don't know, explain the founding of the temple or whatever it is. But. This kind of thing has happened in more recent times as well, in that 
During World War One, there were visions of angels on the battlefield of Mons. You know, it, it's happened all throughout the 20th century during wars that people have visions of, you know, Yeah, I, I don't think we can dismiss um, the visionary aspect no. of what is going yes, on I mean, in these sorts knows? of accounts. There very well could have been I mean, something there, people There may believed. very well be something about high levels of stress yes. upon the body that enables yeah. a visionary function. Because, I mean, yeah, by this stage, I mean, this has been a pretty... This, I mean, I know it's a set piece in the narratives, but you have to believe that this is a very, you know, pretty serious, stressful. Look, I don't battle. think you bother building temples to figures that no. you don't think really helped uh, you. Yeah. yeah, were there or yeah. were not of some aid. And the temple that's erected in the forum is bears the name of the gods. Yes. it's recognition, and it's seen as part of the divine um, offering, if you like in terms of the speech that Posthumius gives prior to the battle, yes. um, seeking the helps of the help of the gods. Yes. Um, t- so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's all kind of interconnected. Yeah, There's... I'm just saying you, uh, my, your immediate instinct is just, okay, yeah, they saw gods in the battlefield. Okay, guys. But you can't, as I say, you can't necessarily dismiss the fact that, okay, maybe someone did. Maybe someone did, because it's and if enough been... And if enough people see it, and it's a, in sort of confirmed within a collective, yes. well, you know, it becomes real. Yeah. I mean, at what point do you have knowledge? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Consensus tends Some to be one of the key ingredients. that something becomes a fact when it gets picked up and repeated. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so anyway, so yeah, that's basically this, um, this big showpiece battle, um, which really, I mean, it... <laughs> I suppose we, we need to note as well that it really could have gone against the Romans. It could have. There were some yeah. turning points in this yeah. battle. And the narratives make clear that there are times where it doesn't look good for the Romans. No, no. Um, Which is to be expected in this sort of situation. the wounding of significant figures, mm. although narratively dramatic. Yes. Uh, and obviously playing into certain forms of historiography, also are indicative of the idea that this is a fair and balanced and not at all... Um, uh, what would be the word? Not a not a battle that you could just immediately read as going in one direction. No, no, definitely not. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's an impressive win. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, I think I think I can see why Livy devotes you know this sort of set piece description to mm. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, shall we wind up there for um, another episode? That. that. My friends, Victory the... Roma <laughs> is the Battle of Lake Regulus, yes. which Posthumius classified as an unjust war upon the Romans. <laughs> That's right. You don't do anything wrong, Roman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you for more Roman shenanigans in the episode. future. Yeah. <laughs>